0: neighbor you are listening to the new garden church podcast and we are so glad you're here our church meets at 10 a.m at dupont tyler middle school in hermitage tennessee you can join us in person or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our youtube channel we would love to hear from you we hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon I and mean, I didn't collaborate on the songs she was going to sing today, but they go, go well with the lesson from this morning, which I guess is a God thing more than anything else. Um, so, today, before we kind of jump into Psalm 3 that Isaac read for us a few minutes ago, I want to talk a little bit about how we got here because we're, when I sat down to look at the month, decide what I'm going to preach, I'm like, well, let's do something that has some continuity, something that means something, not just random bit sound bites from different texts in different places. So, I decided on the Psalms to start with. In Psalm 1, we talked about, uh, and if you remember when Jeff was kind of nearing the end of his time with us, he, one Sunday came up here, he had those Lego blocks. He talked about everything kind of building on top of each other and God doing things in layers and working throughout. And so I think that the Psalms are are put together like they are for a reason. Uh, Psalm 1, we talked about, blessed are those who choose to find their life or, or plant their life or plant themselves with God. Those who choose to walk with God versus walking with the world and and putting ourselves in with the world in, in various places—that's a bit ambiguous. We talk about the world because there's a lot out there. There's a lot of good stuff out there that becomes bad stuff because it draws us away from God. Like it—it is it, not necessarily inherently bad, but the rea- the result or the reality of what happens when we join ourselves to certain things is it takes us away from what God called us to and takes away from what God is calling us to in his life, in our lives, and, and where God is trying to lead us in our lives. And the image that the writer in Psalm 1 gives us is, is if you choose to walk with God and, and be about what God's about and not what the world's about, then you're like a tree that's replanted in Eden. And the imagery of, of a tree planted by the source of life, the root of all life, and, and how, um, how much a blessing that is in your life because your life becomes about what God wants it to be and what God created you to be in life. And then last week we talked about, from Psalm 2, we talked about, blessed are those who find their refuge in God. There's always something in the world to, to make us scared, right? There's always something in the world to give us fear. There's always something in the world to give us um, those feelings of, of not being okay. And the reality is, is that the longer we dwell in the bad stuff of the world and the, the stuff that the world is kind of pushing on us and wants us to believe that, and, and you just turn on TV and, and anything you look at, we're, I feel like we're, it, the goal is that we think that everything is awful and it's going to keep being awful. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I believe, like David said, uh, we will find the goodness of God in the land of the living. Like it won't always, it's not always bad and we need to seek those things. And so you know, we talk about God offers us free access to the winning team, right? We decide where we're going to plant ourselves. We decide where we're going to be and we're going to join him in that. And that's going to be kind of our focus in life. That's going to be our, our goal in life. And then we're going to move into Psalm 3 today where we're going to find out what it means to, to have a blessing of God, for God to be a shield around us. Our psalm today is specific. It's a specific, specific time, it's a specific specific place, and there's specific events, and specific people, which is not what we had prior. In the prior two, it was kind of more of a general thing. But today, we have a very specific thing that we're talking about. The psalm. It talks about how this is a psalm that David wrote when he was fleeing. His son. Adam. Now, uh, if we look at the text, we have to kind of search back to the Old Testament to find uh, uh, through the Hebrew Bible to find what we're talking about or what, what this story is about. So you look back into 2 Samuel chapter 13, and this, this story for today covers about six and a half uh, chapters in Second Samuel, starting in verse 13 down through verse, you hear our new sound effects? <laughs> it's a new thing we came in this morning, it sounds like there's something landing on the building, so it is what it is, it'll come and go. So Psalm 13 through Psalm 19 and a half, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really a, a messy story. Like I'd like to tell you, it's one of those stories that, that it's a feel-good thing and it makes us uh, have the warm fuzzies and at the end everything goes well, but really it's a messy story that kind of frames all of David's life. David's entire kingship, even before his kingship, was a whole lot of mess. And a lot of that was his fault. A lot of that was his choices, his actions, and what he did. A lot of this is going to be filled with people who who take missteps, he he takes missteps, a lot of bad decision making, trickery, and yet in the midst of all of it, there's one bright spot and that bright spot is God. Now when Israel was young as a nation, after they kind of got settled, they started looking around and they started saying to God, look God, give us a king like the nations around us. And God said, no, you don't want that. They're like, no, we want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. And that was the one fear that God had, that God knew wasn't a fear. God knew it would happen, that as soon as they became like the nations around them, they would start acting like the nations around them. And unfortunately, David was no exception. A common practice during that time was to take wives, where for kings to take wives from nations that was around them, and it was kind of a way to solidify alliances. And so you would go and, and you would almost you would trade wives. You would trade women and, and, they, and the kings would marry them and they would bring them into their house and it was a way of, of making an alliance and brokering an alliance. And it was a lot about building power and influence, right? Be, building power and strength and might. And as we, go back through, <coughs> excuse me. as we go back through the text that we've already read, we've already gone through, you, we understand that the desire to be powerful and the desire to be strong and the desire to have control are three things that lead us away from God. There are three things that become idols that stand between us and God. And again, David was no stranger to this. Absalom, who is the other key player in this story, was the son of one of these unions. Absalom's mom was a Gershomite, which was a nation around them. And so he was a a result, he was a product of of an unholy union that David had because he wanted to solidify power and he wanted to have greater control. And so that leads us to the mess that we start today's story with, which is the story of Amnon and Tamar in 2 Samuel chapter 13. David's house was filled with half-siblings, half-brothers, half-sisters. His kids were all there. And there's a bunch of kids, and they, were, they weren't all directly related to each other. And so you had Amnon and Tamar, who were half-brother, half-sister, had different moms. And Amnon had, Abnon had this unholy desire for his stepsister, his half-sister. And in the course of time, with help of other people, he had his way with Tamar, and he shamed her for life. And I wish the story ended there. But it didn't, because Tamar was Absalom's full sister. Now if you read through the text, the text tells us that David heard about this, and he was furious. David was angry when he heard about this, but he didn't do anything. Absalom was angry too. Absalom took his sister and took took her into his house and let her live there and took care of her because she was, again, she was shamed for life. And he sat and he stewed in his anger. And about two years later, Absalom manipulated a situation and got where he was able to get Amnon away from David, off away in the country, away from him. And he killed Amnon because of what he did to his sister Tamar. And again, the text tells us David was furious. But what did David do? He didn't do anything. But Absalom fed, fled back to Gesher, which again was the, the nation where his mom was from, and he, the homeland of his mom, and he stayed there for about three years, kind of biding his time. And then we get another character kind of brought in the story of Joab. Joab was David's right-hand man, military man, and he was just like David. He was treacherous. And he did a lot of tricks, and he did a lot of underhanded things in order to get his way. Joab sat back, and he watched David, and he saw that David longed to see his son Absalom. But he wouldn't make the effort to bring him back home. And so Joab worked with this other lady and brought her in. And let me tell you, if you want a soap opera, sit down and read 13 through 19. And there's so much stuff in there that, like, it, it doesn't make any sense how just bad some of the stuff is. And so he contrives the situation and, and David brings Absalom back and he tells Joab, said, okay, Dave, jo, Absalom can come back, but he can't come back and see me. He has to go to his own house and stay in his own house. And so he goes to his own house and Absalom's not happy with that. He's like, I want to see my dad. And so he calls Joab and, and he says, I want to see you. And Joab doesn't go. And again, one of those really just bizarre things about the story, Joab for two years does not pay attention to Absalom. So Absalom, Absalom tells one of his... Works. He says, go out there, because he lives right next door to Joab. He says, go out there and set fire to Joab's field. And so he goes out there, and he burns down Joab's field. And Joab's like, why did you do that? And he said, well, I've been calling for you, you didn't come see me. Like, that's the only way to get his attention. And so Absalom, Joab goes to David, and they come back together, and Absalom sees David, and they kiss, and they make up, and everything's good, and the story ends well. Well, no, of course not, Right? Absalom decides that he wants those two things that cause the most trouble, power and control. And so Absalom gets a bunch of chariots, and he gets a bunch of men, and he gets a bunch of horses, and he takes them, and he parks them right in front of the city gate where all the people are coming throughout the land, and they're coming to see the king so the king can rule and judge and can give them what they need. And he stops as they go through and say, hey, what are you here for? And they'll tell him, be like, listen, I can take care of that. And so he rules in the king's place without the king even knowing it, And as time goes on, he endears the people to himself. And he turns the people to himself. And all of a sudden, all the hearts of all the people are turned towards Absalom and turned against David. And so instead of David calling him in and saying, hey, stop doing that, David flees. Like he gets up and he gets all of his house and all of his people. He says, we got to go. The people are against me now. But again, in treacherous ways, David says to some of these people, look, now you guys, you're going to stay here. And so then when Absalom wants to do something, you can confuse him and you can make it hard for him. And there's just, it's really messy. And as David flees, he hides in wells and he stays behind. as His men go to war and he's hiding in cities. And there's lots of fear and there's lots of of worry on David's part as he's wondering how his life will go and what will happen to the kingdom going forward from there. Absalom had some really nice hair. Like really nice hair. Like they say earlier in the text in Second Samuel they say he would rarely cut it and when he cut it it was worth more than some crazy amount of money. His hair was so luxurious. And so he was this guy who would ride around with his hair waving in the wind. And so there's this scene happening where Absalom is riding through the countryside with his men pursuing David, and all of a sudden his hair is flying in the wind, and it catches in a tree. And it catches Absalom in the tree, and then Absalom is hanging there, just hanging in the air, and he can't get down. And what do his men do? His men stop and chop the tree down so to get down. No, his men run off and leave him. And so Absalom's hanging there in the tree by his hair, And Joab hears about it, and Joab goes out there and kills him. And word gets back to David, and he's distraught. He's once again, the kingdom has has been returned to him, but he's lost his son, and it's just a mess. The kingdom is restored, but he's lost another one of his kids. And you see, this is the context that we find ourselves in as, as David is writing this psalm, as he's hiding maybe in a well or he's hiding out somewhere, wondering when he's going to lose his life, wondering when Absalom or Absalom's men are going to catch up and they're going to take control, they're going to take him. And so then we find our, our first two verses here. Lord, how many, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many saying of me, God... God will not deliver him. There's an interesting side story. As David's fleeing Jerusalem, there's this descendant of Saul who walks along on a a mountainside just over from where David is walking and he throws dirt and he throws rocks at David as he's fleeing the city. And he's like, you're getting what you deserve. Curse you, you're getting what you deserve. And David's men say, he wants to go kill him, we can get rid of him right now. And David's like, No, he's right. I'm getting what I deserve. You see, it's easy for us to see David in this moment as he's writing these words how, the, how much fear he has and, and just the hiding and the uncertainty and, and how his entire life, and even though he brought this on himself, right, every time he turns around, there's something happening in his life that is causing him to live in fear and legitimate fear. And at the same time as we see these three words that are written here in the text, we, we only, not three words, three sentences are written here in the text. We only see th- these three before David breaks out into this opus of, of goodness about God and this opus of great things about the Lord. But you, Lord, you, you are my shield around me. You are my glory. You, you are the one who lifts my head. And you see, you got to give it to David, right? His life is a level of mess that I can't even begin to near understand. But in the midst of all that, he has this immense faith in God that even though he has created such a mess in his life, that God is still the most important thing in his life. And perhaps that's the message that we need to draw, the prevailing message from this text, which wasn't part of my original thought, but God's faithfulness, again, not not a message that's original me, but God's faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness. And isn't that a good thing? Isn't it a good thing that God will be faithful to us even when we aren't faithful to him? And I think we need to regularly be reminded of that. David knew even though God had created this mess that God would be faithful to the promises that he had made. And so David says, Oh Lord, you are a shield about me. Now, given our, our situation in life, our period of time, we have little, we have very little understanding of how valuable a shield will be. And I'm, I'm going to show a clip from a movie that some of y'all may be familiar with. Uh, it's a pretty intense movie, but this, this one clip is pretty indicative of how important it is to have a really good shield about you. Oh! Cowards. What the hell are you laughing at? Oh, you had to say it. What? Fight in the shade? Recover. They shot so many arrows at them that the sun was blotted out like it got dark. But nobody who had a shield got hurt. Now, I I can't overstate how important it is to have the right kind of protection in life. A good shield cannot be understated. And so I think the question we have to ponder for a few minutes this morning as we kind of walk through this chapter is, what are the shields that God is providing for you and me in our daily lives that I think we need to understand, see, and appreciate what God does on a daily basis? And the first one, which I think we really, really underestimate, is the people that God puts around us. A few weeks ago, we talked about the value of people and the value, how important it is the people that you put around you and the people that you surround yourself with. You see, this is a God thing, not, not a human thing. God will bring the right people into your life at the right time, and God will take the right people out of your life at the right time. I know as an adult, because I am one, it's hard to make friends, right? It's hard to make the right friends. It's hard to keep the right friends. So it's very essential that we allow the right people into our lives. And that when people are trying to leave, maybe we need to hear that from God as, okay, these people don't need to be in your life anymore. And to let them go. You see, some of thinking about and talking about when God is protecting us, it's also about God protecting us from ourselves. Because we tend to be our own worst enemies. And it's God's protection when He brings people in and takes people out. That's a shield that God is putting around you. The four or five people that are, most, that are closest to you, most important to you, those are the people that God is going to use in times when you are tempted the most, when you are tried the most, when you are defeated the most. Those are the people that God, are going to, God is going to use to bring you back and to help you sustain through those really, really, really bad times in life. And the second shield I think that God helps us with is time. Now this is a little more difficult for us to see in the moment But here's the reality, when we look backwards, we can always tell, see that God's time is impeccable. That God's timing is always perfect, and the perfection of His time rarely aligns with our own time. Reminds me of the movie Bruce Almighty, if you've ever seen Bruce Almighty. There's a scene where he he has to hear all the prayers that are being prayed, and it's just for the Buffalo area if you know the, the movie. And so he sits there all night, one night, he sits there answering all as many prayers and then the amount coming in seems to double. And so he stops and he says, okay, yes to all. And there's chaos that erupts because everybody gets what they want. Everybody wins the lottery and everybody gets a nickel and everybody's angry because they only got a nickel. Everybody gets exactly what they want and everybody's unhappy because they got exactly what they want when they wanted it what a what a mess our life would be if we got everything we wanted amen amen and last thing just a couple things to think about i believe that if we could see how often and how much effort god puts into protecting us in our lives we would be overwhelmed because much of it we can't see But again, most of the time, God is trying to protect us from ourselves. So God, you're a shield around me. You're my glory. Now, I wrestled with this one a bit, but I think there's something rooted in here. And what is your focus in life? What is my goal in life? You see, despite all of David's foibles and all the bad stuff, and not to excuse any of that stuff, he he seemed to have a, a solid understanding and a solid idea that glorifying God was his number one purpose in life. That that was what his life was all about. And although it seemed like he often did things that opposed that, in the end, he recognized that and tried in some ways to live into that. And I think the very real reality of that is when we place God and His will and His goals at the forefront of our lives and let that be what guides us, not what we want then that will always serve as a beacon to draw us back to where we need to be and always bring us back to where God is calling us to be. Even in the dark times when we completely fall off the path, the beacon will always be there to draw us back to God and what He wants and what He desires for our life. And then the last thing in this verse, He talks about the one who lifts my head. Now this may be the most comforting thing in this entire passage. Because the normal reaction when the world is closing in on us and bad things keep happening over and over and over and over again is for us to implode and for us to drop our heads and to withdraw into ourselves and to escape, try and escape the reality that we've created. And God's not going to let that be our reality. God's going to be that loving Father that reaches down and pulls us out of that mess, that reaches down and lifts our heads so that we're not... Because if we stare at the ground, what are we going to see? Nothing, but if we lift our heads and we look to God, we see the good of God. We see the one who draws our attention away from the mess of life to the glory that he is trying to bring into our lives. And I wish I could say this verse is is where I find my peace in life. When I'm faced with trials, when I'm faced with really bad situations, when I'm faced with things in my life, I wish this was the part of my life that I was constantly drawn back to. But the reality is that, I don't know about you, but the reality is that I need to be reminded daily of the goodness of God. I need to be reminded daily that that God is there and God is on my side. Not because I'm a good person, right? Let's make sure we don't cross that bridge. Not because I deserve it, but because God loves me in spite of me. And then even though bad things happen and bad stuff goes wrong, goes, happens all around me, that the goodness of God is there and is for me and God is inviting me, like we talked about last week, for us to either join his team or the world. And if we've read Revelation, we know which team wins, right? God wins. And I don't want to neglect the rest of the chapter, even though I don't have time to talk about the rest of the chapter. But in the rest of the chapter, he says, I call to God and guess what? He answers, I'm tired, and you know what God does? He sustains me. I'm scared, you know what God does? He gives me peace. I'm overcome, and God delivers me. And next week, we're going to talk about Psalm 4, about the blessing of God that is joy and peace. And I need to hear about that. And you need to hear about that. Because again, the world we live in wants us to believe that everything is bad and everything is awful and things are just going to keep getting worse, but not true. Not true because God sits on the throne in heaven. And He is the goodness in our lives and He is drawing us to that. One of the ways I believe we can be reminded every week is the table. You see, God invites us to commune with Him. God invites us to to come back to Him. God invites us to come and once again affirm in a public way that God is my God, that Jesus is my Savior, and that this is the life that I have chosen, that this is where I choose to plant myself. And so every Sunday morning, we come to the table together as a family, and we break bread, and we talk about our week, the good things, the bad things. We renew relationships, and we're reminded of the goodness of God in this land. Pray with me. God, for today, I am thankful for your word that brings us hope and brings us strength. Thank you so much. Father, even though our lives are a mess and we make really, really bad choices and we are no better than David, we're thankful that you're there to be a shield around us to be what we focus on and to be the one who lifts our head. Father, as we commune today, help us to share with one another, love one another, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us and we'll be back with another episode next week.